Amen. Amen. Second Corinthians chapter five tonight. Second Corinthians chapter five. We are in the midst of a study of the letter of Paul to the to the Corinthians. And just by way of sort of quick review of where the book of Second Corinthians sort of fits, if you will, its special niche in the New Testament, in the Word of God. It is a book that Paul uh, writes to share with the Corinthians and Christians down through the centuries how to live confidently, how to live life with confidence. If you even go to a bookstore nowadays, you will find many, many books out there today trying to share with people and encourage people how they can be more confident in their life. It it is something that evidently resonates with people. It's one of the things that human beings search for or else they wouldn't be writing all these books on the subject of confidence. I am here tonight to say this. Unless one is rightly related to the God of the universe... And unless one truly believes in what the God of the universe has revealed to us, there is no way any human being can live confidently apart from that. And that's exactly what Paul is sharing with the Corinthians. If you want to be confident, this is how we need to relate to God. And so throughout the first four chapters, Paul has dealt with different different ways, different things uh, of how we can be confident in all of life's situations. And now we come to chapter 5, where he's going to share with the Corinthians how a person can be confident in the face of death. A death is one of those things that a lot of times even Christians avoid talking about. I will also say this. Unless a human being is willing to face the reality and even the naturalness of death, There is no way that human being can truly enjoy life before they die until they come to terms with the reality and naturalness of death and be able to face the prospect of death with confidence. And that's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the first 10 verses. Why does Paul bring up at this point the subject of death? Well, for a couple reasons. Quickly, if you go back to chapter 1 for a moment, you'll notice that Paul already informed the Corinthians that he and his uh, companions in ministry had faced death and were really thinking that they were going to die while they were in Asia. Look at verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, regarding the affliction that happened to us in the province of Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength, so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we felt as if the sentence of death had been passed against us. Paul and his friends thought this was the end. They were about to die. And so obviously, the thought of death the prospect of death, the dangers that Paul went through, certainly that played on his mind and there were times where he thought about it himself. And then last week, if you go over to chapter 4, verse 16, Paul even shared this with the Corinthians. He says, Therefore we do not despair, we do not become spiritless or discouraged, even if our physical body is wearing away, our inner person is being renewed day by day. And the fact that he's telling the Corinthians, you realize that as we grow older, our physical bodies are wearing away. So he sort of picks up on that and says, I've, I've talked, I've in, in sort of, you know, mini form, I've thrown out the prospect of death. Now, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, I need to deal with it a little bit more in depth in chapter 5. By the way, I want to go back to verse 16 because it is a key verse in the entire book where Paul uses the word renewed there in verse 16 of chapter 4. It means to grow stronger. And what Paul is saying is this to every Christian. Even though we will grow older and our physical bodies will wear out and wear away, the internal part of us, the real us, if you will, that is housed in these mortal bodies can actually grow stronger every day. 
And so that's again why we encourage Christians to make it a priority of your Christian life that you are maturing in your faith, that you are growing stronger. Because it is so imperative that we grow stronger or else one of the things that we won't be is confident. Part of our confidence in living and facing life and all that life brings is through our spiritual growth. And if our inner man is not being renewed like it should be, like it could be, it's going to prevent the kind of confidence that God wants his people to have. With all of that said, let's read together the first 10 verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul says, For we know that if our earthly house, the tent we live in, is dismantled, we have a building from God, a house not built by human hands, that is eternal in the heavens. For in this heavenly earthly house, excuse me, we groan, because we desire to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed after we have put on our heavenly house, we will not be found naked. For we groan while we are in this tent, since we are weighed down, because we do not want to be unclothed, but clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave us the Spirit as a down payment. Therefore, we are always full of courage or confidence. And we know that as long as we are alive here on earth, we are absent from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. Thus, we are full of courage and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So then whether we are alive or away, we make it our ambition to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. In this great passage, Paul shares with us what he knows about death, what he knows that God has revealed about death, why or how he knows it, and the difference that this makes in his life. I want to first go back to verse 1, where Paul says corporately, we should know something. We should know that if our earthly house, this tent we live in, is dismantled, we have a building with God. Do all Christians really know that? See, one of the things that gives us confidence in our life is knowledge, but not knowledge alone, but belief and faith in that knowledge. That's why Paul goes on even in verse 6 to say, we're always full of courage or confidence, and we know. And then in verse uh, 7, he talks about the fact that we live by faith. We live by believing and trusting in what God has revealed. And so Paul's going to tell us now what he knows based on the fact that God has revealed it, but not just revealed it, but he believes in it. He trusts in it, if you will. And so that's where it starts. What do we know? And Paul, again, is assuming that this is knowledge that all Christians should be aware of. What he's going to share is something that's not just for spiritually elite It's not just for this person or that. We corporately can know this truth that God has revealed about death. And the first sort of concept that Paul shares is, first of all, there is life after death. There is life after death. And Paul says this. He says, he compares our human body to an earthly house. And notice he uses the language of a tent. In fact, in verse 1, Paul's talking about this tent as our earthly temporary body, which resonates with Paul, because let's remember, what was Paul's occupation on the side? He was a tent maker. He knew about assembling tents, about putting tents up, and taking them down. And so I want to encourage you as well. God will always use the experiences and things that you and I have learned along our way to somehow have some kind of application or spiritual application, not just in our lives, but to those we come in contact with. Paul was able to use the picture of a tent and tearing it down to sort of illustrate what he's trying to get across here about death. When he says again, 
if our earthly house, this tent we live in, is dismantled. Literally in the Greek, if it's taken down, then he says, we know, we know, Paul says, we have a building from God. The word building here is in contrast to the tent. The tent is temporary. The tent is fragile. The the, the tent, you know, think of that. That's illustrating, Paul says, the way we should look at this earthly body that houses who we really are. But when we die, when this tent, if you will, this outer structure that houses who we really are, if it is taken down, he says, we have a building. The idea of building there is permanence, of stability, of a fixed residence. In other words, Paul's saying, God never intended for any human being to live permanently in this, you know, fallen human physical part. That, that's why even back in the book of Genesis, when Adam and Eve fell, he sent angels to guard the tree of life so that Adam and Eve couldn't get a hold of that fruit and eat and live forever in a fallen condition. That was never God's intent. God always intended for His people to rule and reign and not live in a perpetual fallen condition. So Paul here is saying, guys, we can know this. Do you know this? That if your tent, this body, this temporary sort of covering over who you really are would be torn down, do you know, like Paul, That you have a building from God, a house not built by human hands that is eternal in the heavens. See, Paul says, I can know that before I die. There are some people that are like, well, I don't know even whether I'm going to go to heaven or not before I die. Paul not only knows he's going to heaven. Paul knows before he dies that there's going to be a body that awaits him up there. That's going to be a permanent, eternal body that will never wear out never get sick, never experience death, all of that, and that God is the one who's going to build it. God is the one who's going to build it. I hope you know that tonight. I hope that you can share that assurance with other people who may not have confidence in the face of death. Uh, There's a lot of people today that believe in reincarnation. And obviously this passage totally destroys that because the Bible doesn't say... We come back as someone or something. And, and did you ever notice that too? People who believe in reincarnation never, never, never talk about coming back or being like a frog or something. It's always like, yes, I was a king in my past life, and, or I was this ruler and whatever. They're always somebody big and famous. You know, they're never somebody obscure and nobody when they talk about reincarnation. But Paul basically says, no, but here's what you do know. That when this earthly tent is taken down, God has a building to house who we really are up in heaven that's eternal. Now, verse 2, he says, in this earthly house or body, we groan. The word means to sigh or moan. And we all know as we get older, that increases, doesn't it? But here's what Paul goes on to say. He says, because part of that is we desire, we long for to put on our heavenly dwelling in a sense for our spirit. See, one of the things that Paul's going to teach the Corinthians and all of us in this passage is when God created us, obviously the real us is housed in this tent. This is not the real us, our physical body. It's who we identify ourselves with. It's who others here now identify ourselves with. But the real us is really inside of this physical body. And Paul is simply saying that one of the things that as we grow in Christ, that we groan and and sigh and moan for, is that we want that eternal dwelling instead of this temporary thing that 
that gets sick and wears out and, and fails us all the time. And especially as we get older, it continues to increase in all of that. Paul says that should be a desire of ours. And if we have that kind of confidence in what God has revealed, then that will be built into our life. If I'm not sure, first of all, whether I'm even going to heaven, and then I'm not sure even what happens to me when I die, do I get another body or, you know, do, do as many again, instead of reincarnate, they believe in just, that we just exist as spirits, like Casper the friendly ghost and just float through, you know, eternity. Again, Paul says, no, that's not what God has revealed. We are never without a body. That's one of the things that Paul's going to teach here in this. That God always had the purpose that who we really are would be housed in some kind of body. Whether it was our earthly physical body that would eventually wear out and have to be taken down at death. Or whether it is our eternal body that God has built for us that is eternal in the heavens. Either way, we are never just a disembodied spirit that floats around. God always gives us a body. Think of Jesus Christ even when he rose from the dead. He had a body. And his body didn't look that much different than what it did before. It wasn't like, you know, that radical. Obviously it was glorified. And so, you know, Paul's trying to share this to encourage and comfort and give confidence to the Corinthians who probably, like many even Christians down through the years, were like, what happens when we die? And what, what's this all about? And what has God revealed? Now, again, God doesn't reveal everything we want to know about death or what happens to us after we die or what heaven's like in the Bible, but he does reveal enough that what we should focus on is what we can know and not what we don't know. So Paul goes on to say, if indeed after we have put on our heavenly house, he says we will not be found naked. The word naked here just literally means without a body. In other words, Paul again is sort of reemphasizing the fact, he says, after we put on our heavenly house, we're never without a body. You, God never is going to get us to a place where we don't have a body. Now, I'm going to insert this here. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it because I can't be dogmatic about it. But one of the things that I share, especially in funeral services and memorial services, is this. I believe what Paul is specifically talking about here is that once and for all final glorified body that we get. But I believe that if, if you and I were to die right now, that even when we go to heaven now, that God gives us an intermediate body to live in until our body is resurrected, and then we have that body forever. Let me share with you at least one passage that I base that on. When you go to the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus appeared with two Old Testament saints who their bodies have not been resurrected yet. And yet Moses and Elijah appeared in what? A body. They had a body, even though their bodies had not been resurrected yet. And there's other instances in the Bible where Old Testament saints appeared in bodily form. That's the way God designed it to be. So we're never without a body. So verse 4. Paul says, we groan, back to that sighing and moaning, while we are in this tent, this temporary dwelling, since we are weighed down. Paul says, let's face it, folks, especially the older we get. Carrying around this temporary body that wears out is a burden. Literally, the words weighed down mean to carry a heavy load. And the, you know... For people who are young, you're in your 20s, you don't really appreciate this. The older you get, you appreciate the fact that this temporary tent, this earthly dwelling, is a burden. It is. But here's the thing. God never meant for us to live in this forever. 
That's why we need to look at death, not just as the reality of it, but the naturalness of it. Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 15, this mortal must put on immortality. This corruption must put on incorruption. That's the only way we're going to enjoy eternity is to lay down what cannot exist in eternity, which is our earthly body. Our spirit that's inside of us, the real us, it's always going to exist. But God never meant for this that has now experienced sin and now been part of the fall to ever exist throughout eternity. We've got to lay it down. And so it does weigh us down because, he says, we do not want to be unclothed. Paul says, we really don't want to be without a body. We don't because that's the only way, that's the only thing we know. That's how God always meant for humanity that he created all the way back in the book of Genesis to be identified, to be recognized. Like one of the most asked questions I get is, well, pastor, will we recognize others and be recognized in heaven? Absolutely. The Bible clearly teaches that. In fact, I'll go a step further. When you get to heaven, the Bible says we will have knowledge instantaneously given to us that we don't have here on earth. So for instance, you'll not only know others and be known by those that already know you and you know them. But when you and I get to heaven, we will also instantaneously know and be known by those we've never met. For instance, as an example, when you get to heaven and you see this guy walking towards you, you're just going to know that's Noah. There's Mary. There's Esther. There's Moses. You're going to have that. And they're going to know, oh, that's Jeff. Okay. I heard about you. (laughs) So yes, that's part of why God is giving us a body. And so one of the other guys, well, will our glorified eternal body that God builds for us, is it going to resemble this? To some degree, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, yes. Yes. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us Well, what age are we going to look like? Obviously, you know, he doesn't reveal that. But what we can be confident of is this. In some way, this eternal body that God builds for us, that we're going to have throughout eternity, is in some way going to resemble who we've always been in some way. That's just the way it is. That's the way God designed it because we never want to be without a body. And God never wanted us to be unclothed or without a body. But notice he goes on to say, but clothed so that what is, in, what is mortal, what is subject to death, may be swallowed up by life. In other words, Paul is sort of picturing our eternal even glorified body as an overcoat of who we really are. And it's literally put over who we really are. Just like today, our even temporary, physical, earthly body that's going to wear out is literally like an overcoat over who we really are. The spirit that will live forever. And Paul says, we're simply going to, once this tent is taken down, God's going to then give us an eternal, glorified body so that we can just put that over who we really are. And I love this. He says, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up. The word means to be devoured or destroyed by life. Or literally, swallowed is a good translation because it literally in the Greek means to drink down. It's it's the picture of that what is mortal, what is decaying, what what is dying, all of that can literally be just swallowed and drunk down by the life of God. And so notice, based on that, what Paul says next in verse 5. Now the one who prepared us, fashioned us, rendered us for this very purpose is God. See, God's purpose was always, don't miss this, that life would swallow up what is mortal. 
That immortality would overcome what is mortal. That, that what is not corrupt would overcome what is corrupt and dying and decaying. That was always God's purpose. Going back to what I said earlier, God never intended for humanity to live forever in a fallen condition. That was never God's intent. That was never God's purpose. So back even in eternity past, when God thought of salvation and all of that, God always had this in mind. We would never live forever in this condition. Can I just say, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, for that. That I have the confidence to know that even though I enjoy life, and I love my life, and I have a blessed life here on earth, that the best is yet to come, and it will never wear out. We will be able to live in these wonderful bodies that are built by God forever and ever and ever. And millions of years from now, we're still going to be going strong. We're going to lay down these bodies that only last for 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, even 100 years down here on earth. And we're going to live forever in these bodies built by God because they're permanent. It's our fixed residence for the rest of our life. And God, notice he goes on to say, gave us his spirit when we became a Christian as a down payment, as a pledge, as a deposit of what was to come. In other words, God even encourages us when he gives us his spirit, when we become a Christian, it's as if we can know that we can count on everything that God said was going to happen in the future is going to happen. And why do we know that? Why can we be so confident like Paul? Because he's given us the spirit. And the Spirit is just sort of the first installment of all these wonderful things that He promises us is coming our way even after we die. And so that's why Paul could be so confident in his own life. Because the Spirit was bearing witness with His Spirit. And the Spirit inside of Him, God was encouraging Him every day. Even though as an apostle, He was facing death for Christ every day, He never allowed it to face Him. Because He knew. If I die for the cause of Christ, if I give my life for Christ, I know what's going to happen to me. I have confidence. I'm not looking to die. I'm not trying to put my life in some kind of, you know, extreme danger on purpose. But if it comes, I have confidence. And that confidence, part of that comes from the ministry of the Spirit within us who's God's pledge that everything he's promised to us is going to happen exactly as he said. That's why, notice in the context, verse 6, therefore we are always, at all times, full of courage. The Greek word can also be translated confidence. Did you get that? Paul said, based on everything that God has revealed, not everything I want to know, but everything I need to know, everything that God has revealed to me, even about this subject, I can live every day full of courage and confidence. That's the way God wants His people to live. But we can only live with this kind of courage and confidence when we are rightly related to God and when we trust and believe in what He said. If we don't really believe it, then we're not going to be filled with that confidence. We're still going to be wrestling and doubting with, am I going to go to heaven? And if I do, what is that going to be like? You know, am I just going to go into the ground and that's it? What happened? Where's the confidence? And so Paul goes on to say, we are always full of courage and we know that as long as we are alive here on earth, we are absent from the Lord. We live apart. We live abroad from the Lord. In this way, physically. Obviously, the Lord is always with us through His Spirit who indwells us. But what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is, as long as we're alive here on earth, we're not able to physically be where Jesus is. The only way you and I can be with Jesus is to die, or for the rapture to take place. Which is, by the way, why Paul said in verse 1, if our earthly house, this tent we live in, is dismantled. Because there will be a generation of Christians 
who are alive when Jesus comes that won't have to ever experience physical death, but will simply, as Paul says to the Corinthians, be changed in a twinkling of an eye. So not everyone will experience physical death. But Paul does say this. You realize as a Christian that as long as you're alive on earth, you live apart from the Lord. Which is why then he goes on to say, we, are, we live by faith, not by sight. The word live is a really key word. It could also be translated walk. But it's a word in the Greek language it means to make progress. So that's very significant. Because notice now what Paul is teaching here. He is telling Christians, the only way a Christian, even after you become a Christian and I become a Christian, And we know that the Bible clearly teaches the only way I can even become a Christian is by faith. For by grace are you saved through faith. But even after I become a Christian, the only way I can progress in my Christian life is also by faith. That's why Paul said, I live by faith. I don't just get saved by faith. I have to, as a Christian, live my life every day by faith. And that's the only way I'm ever going to make progress in my spiritual walk. I have got to live by my spiritual convictions. That's what faith is. Trusting, believing, having confidence in what God has said, what God has revealed. That's faith. Not by sight, Paul says. The word sight means external or outward appearances. Paul said, if we try to live life based on externals, based on how things appear, Paul says we will never make progress in our walk with God. If we've got to touch it and and see it and feel it, then Paul said we will limit our spiritual growth, and we will limit the experience even on this side of heaven that we can have with God. Because we as Christians have got to buy into the fact that there is a whole world out there and there's a whole existence out there that we can't physically see, touch, or hear. And yet it's just as real as what we can see, touch, or feel. That's why the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11, faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. And even though human beings don't like to maybe be faced with this, we all live by faith. We were taught in school that This table is made up of things called protons, neutrons, electrons, molecules. Well, I can't see them, but I believe that they exist and are really the building blocks of that physical table. I can't see it, but I believe it's there. I can't see the law of aerodynamics, But I know that when those planes take off at Sky Harbor, that that's exactly what we're seeing. And Paul's saying Christians have got to learn to move through life and take every step by trusting in what God has said rather than by the external appearance of things. Because Paul says, Thus we are full of courage. We are confident. And Paul even goes on to say in verse 8, based on this faith that I have in what God has said, I even would prefer, <laughs> I would cho- if, I, if God gave me a choice, Paul said, here would be my choice. To be away from this physical body and be at home with the Lord. Wow. Sad to say that there's a lot of Christians who've gotten their roots so deep into the world and and their existence in this world is so strong that they really don't live sort of desiring to lay this life down and be with the Lord they're always searching for more of what this life can have sort of like even Lot's wife 
who would have been delivered from her existence, but her heart was back in Sodom. Sad to say there are many Christians, probably even at the rapture or when they die, whose heart is more here on earth than it is in the life to come. And Paul said, when we live by faith, God begins to build such a yearning and longing for what is ahead that we realize, as the Bible teaches, we are simply pilgrims and strangers on this earth. We were never as Christians made to make this earth our home. This earth is not our home. Our home is with the Lord. Paul said, our citizenship is in heaven, Philippians 3.20. We are no longer, when we become a Christian, citizens of this earth. This earth is run by the God of this world anyway. Our home is with the Lord. And by the way, the word home here not only means to stay, or again, a sense of permanence, that once we get there, this is temporary, we're just passing through this earth, but once we get to glory, that's forever. But there's another great concept of the word home here. It means to be among one's own. See, here on earth, as Christians, we're not always amongst our own. We live in a, foreign country, if you will. The Bible says we're aliens. We're strangers. This earth is not our home. The way this earth operates is not our home. We're not not desiring to make this earth our home. We're desiring to one day lay down this temporary body and be at home with the Lord. To finally be among one's own. Can you imagine... I mean, today, the, the, the situation of the world and even our own country, to realize that one day we're all, as Christians, under the rule of Jesus Christ, we're all going to see everything the same one day. No more debate, because Jesus ends all debate. And it's like, ah, I'm finally home. That's why the death of a Christian, many people say it's a home going. They went home. They did. My father went home, died of cancer 22 years ago. He's been in heaven for 22 years. And here's one of the things that gave me hope. Is it even though I've been separated from my father for 22 years and I don't know how much longer I'm going to be separated from him until the rapture or until I die and am reunited with him? I know this, just like Paul knew. I know I'm going to be reunited with my dad one day and I'm never going to be apart from him ever again. Because here's what Paul goes on to say. Thus we are full of courage and would prefer to be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. See, Paul is making a a really important statement. He says, for Christians who doubt what happens to them, it's really very simple. Don't make it more complicated than the Bible makes it. A child can understand this. To be absent from the body, this body means to be what? Yeah. Yeah. The Bible never teaches we go to some other place. That we have to go there for a while before we're with Jesus. No. That's why Jesus even said to the thief on the cross, Today you'll be with me in paradise. See, the confidence that Christians have is that the moment we die, we are with the Lord. We are with the Lord. That's clearly, simply what the Bible teaches. And yet there are many Christians out there who live their whole life going, man, I I don't know what's going to happen to me when I die and where I'm going to go and all this. It's clearly, simply laid out for us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So Paul then says this. So then, here's what I knew. Here's how I knew it. I knew it by faith. And here's the difference it makes in my life. See, Paul is making this point that's very important. That as Christians, what we know about what is to come 
should also make a difference in our everyday lives down here on earth. If what we know about the future isn't changing the way we order our lives or regulate our lives or live our lives here, then there's a disconnect. Because God always meant for what we know that is to come should somehow have great bearing and carry great weight on how we live our lives every day down here, which is why then Paul, in these last couple verses we're going to look at tonight, says, so then, whether we are alive, whether we're present in these bodies or away, meaning away from his immediate presence, either way you want to look at our earthly existence, he says, here's the way a Christian should always approach life every day. That we make it our ambition The word means to make it our aim or goal in our life to please Him. Wow. To seek God's approval and applause. We don't... We don't live to please Him so that we can get to heaven. Paul says, I already know where I'm going when I die. And I know what's going to happen to me when I die. But because of all that God has done for me, and because of all that God has promised me He will do for me, the least I can do is that every day I live in this temporary earthly body that I'm going to lay down one day, I should live every day making it my one priority above everything else in my life to put a smile on Jesus' face. To bring a smile to His face. To please Him. How many even Christians live their lives trying to please other people more than they try to please God every day? And yet Paul says, my ambition above everything else is to live every day to please Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So that each one, no Christian is exempt, may be paid back according to what he has done while in the body, whether good or evil. Hang in there with me for just a few more minutes. First of all, what the judgment seat of Christ is not. This is the judgment, if you will, for believers only. This is not a judgment for non-believers. That is the great white throne judgment. Totally different judgment. Here's what the, uh, the judgment seat of Christ is not. It is not a time where you and I are going to have to be accounted for our sins. The Bible clearly teaches there is now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. Our sins have already been forgiven, past, present, and future, put into the depths of the sea. God has, in His own way, forgotten about them. So this is not judgment for our sins. That judgment has already been paid for by Christ on the cross. Then what is this judgment for? This is a judgment that, you know, when we hear the word judgment, we always get, you know, we always look at it in a negative way. Paul is pulling out an athletic term here. It, it, was, it was the reward sort of, uh, think of the Olympics, that, that after the athletes participate, they, they are rewarded on a platform and given what was due them because of their effort. That's what the judgment seat of Christ is for the Christian. That, that's why even the word paid back Always usually has a negative, God's going to pay me back? Oh man. Let me tell you in the Greek language, this should give you some encouragement, what the word paid back means. It means to be cared for. Do you realize when you and I get to the judgment seat of Christ that one of the things Jesus is going to do is care for us? Second thing the word means is provided for. God's going to provide some things for us at His judgment seat. And yes, it does mean to get rewarded. Paul taught in another passage in 1 Corinthians 3 that one day we will have our life basically 
appear before God. And we will give an account. And everything that did not pass the fire of God will be burned up. But that which passes the fire and goes through the fire will be rewarded by God. And one of the things I try to encourage Christians with is this. It does matter what you do with your Christian life. It it is not just good enough to say, I'm just glad I'm on my way to heaven and I've got my sins forgiven. I could care less about spiritual growth and maturity and all of that. Listen, my friends, one of the things that this verse and other verses teach is this. The role and responsibility and significance of who you are and what you will do throughout eternity is based on how you and I live our Christian life here. It has everything to do. Instead of nothing mattering, everything matters in our life as a Christian. Everything. And we will wish that we were a little bit more consecrated and dedicated. And that we made it our ambition every day to please the Lord when we get there. Here's why. Because he's dividing this up into things that are good And things that are evil. Basically things that will pass the test and survive that will be rewarded for and things that won't. And let me share with you and we close, I think, a really important thing here. First of all, the word good means distinguishable and honorable. Distinguishable and honorable. But here's what the word evil means. Things that are worthless things that are of no lasting value. And here's the one that really hit me between the eyes. You know what else this Greek word means? Things that were easy. Think about it. We live in a world today. What they're always looking for, even Christians, give me the easy thing. We even have a commercial about the easy button. Everybody wants the easy road, the easy way out. And what God is saying is this. If you choose in your life to always take the easy way, do you realize that that road will never build any character, will never grow you, will never mature you like the more difficult, challenging things will? God, I think, is saying to us, Don't choose the easy way. The easy way is the way of the world. That's why Jesus, when he called his disciples, say, you want to follow me? You got to be willing to die to self and take up your cross every day and follow me. Is the Christian life easy? No way. It may be the greatest challenge a human being will ever have to face, but there is no life that is more fulfilling, more rewarding, not only in this life, but in the life to come. And Paul's basically saying, because of what I know is coming, I don't live for the here and now. I don't live for what's passing away and what's temporal. I have put my life and I have faced it towards what's coming. That's what I live my life for every day. That's what really matters. That's what really counts. And that, that, if that means I go through hell down here so that what I experience in eternity is so much more, Paul said, so be it. Bring it on. Right. Folks, God wants us to live our life confidently. And He wants us even in the face of death to have the knowledge that He has revealed and to believe it in such a way that it will not only change the way I view death, but it will even change the way I live my life every day. Let's pray. God, we thank You for giving us hope even in the face of death. Death, Lord, can be such such a dark and menacing subject to even Christians. Because, Lord, they they have such a lack of knowledge in what the Bible clearly teaches about death and what awaits us on the other side. That, God, it's not something to be, Lord, just 
despising and, and running from, the Word clearly teaches us that when we die, we're finally home. God, that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And yet, God, we know that all that awaits us in the future, all that you have told us is coming, should also make a difference in the way we order our lives every day right now. So God, help us like Paul to not just keep getting information, but help us, Lord, to allow you to transform us and make us more like Jesus every day. Thank you, God, for loving us, for bringing light and life and immortality to our life. Thank you for transferring us from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light and of your Son in whom you love. Thank you for what awaits us. What a glorious eternal future awaits us. A body built by you, eternal in the heavens. God, we thank you for all of your blessings. May we live our lives every day to please you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Folks, thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Cheaper than the way I did it though, yeah. by Mr. Regular. Yeah. Absolutely.